My name is JD. I'm the associate pastor of training here at Mill City. Uh, excited to be here. Um, special welcome to those of you who are new. I saw some new faces, those I didn't recognize. Hopefully you felt welcome so far. Uh, we really try hard to create a welcoming space for you. Uh, I, I would love to meet you if you want to chat a little bit more about what Mill City is all about, what's going on here. I'll, I usually hang out back by the connections table back there as well. Before we dive in, to our sermon time this morning, let's just pray and welcome God into the next few moments of the time we have together. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here today. Thank you for your presence with us. Uh, God, we ask to be transformed in your presence. We ask, God, that you would move in our hearts and our minds through your scripture, through the conversation we have here. God, we also are thinking of Sheridan, uh, the teachers here, uh, the administration here, the students here. God, we, we pray peace over them in this season. God, we ask for every classroom that your presence would be there, mediating conflict, uh, calming the hearts of the little children and the teachers. Uh, God, be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how many uh, night owls and morning people do we have out there? How many night owls do we have? All right, and morning people, way more morning people. Interesting, interesting. I squarely fall in the neither category. Anybody with me with that one? Okay, yes, okay, even more overwhelming neithers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, some people say both, which baffles me how they live, uh, stay, waking up early and staying up late. I, I get like scary different person when I am like sleep deprived. The best way I can describe it is, do you know the character from Lord of the Rings, Gollum? And he has like this split personality. If you wake me up at like two in the morning, that's what you should expect to, to, to meet and encounter uh, if you do so. I remember my years of being an RA uh, in the dormitory and sometimes getting in, interrupted from my wonderful sleep at those hours of the night. And I remember waking up thinking like, obviously they are being loud because they don't like me. And I would come out into the hallway, but usually uh, my better self would come out by the time I confronted them, and I would do it kindly most of the time. But um, I ask you this question just to sort of get us in uh, to thinking about what, uh, what tiredness is like, what fatigue is like. And uh, I do that because we're in this season of Lent as a congregation, and I know uh, from last week we asked uh, how many different varying experiences there were in terms of Lent, and some of us come from a traditional background uh, when it comes to church, and there may be this rich heritage of what that means. Others of us uh, might not have any experience with it at all. And I think uh, one easy way to describe it is uh, the church needs Lent like the body needs sleep. The church needs this season in our calendar the season in our life where we return back to God to get filled up again with his presence, to rest in him. And when the church doesn't do that, there's this dangerous uh, place we can end up where we're fatigued and tired. So this, this season, this series about searching for God is really about us creating space to search for God, to renew our relationship with him and become rejuvenated in our relationship with him. So that's what this season is about, this series about searching for God. So we're having these conversations about barriers to 
uh, resting in God, barriers to searching for God, and how we create spaces in our lives to do that. And I want to start off right, right off the bat this morning with going to Scripture. And the Scripture I want to talk about this morning is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. And I really view this piece of Scripture as a, it is a prayer. It's a prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying over the church in Ephesians. And I think what's in these short few verses are what we can hope for in the season of Lent, what we can hope for when we're returning to God and when we're searching for him. And it's a beautiful piece of scripture, and I want to read it this morning just to start off so it kind of fills our mind with anticipation about what this season could mean for our church, what this season could mean for you. And let's just listen closely to the words that Paul prays over the church in Ephesus, and let's take it as if he's almost praying it over us and as if we were praying it for ourselves. Let's read starting in, in verse 14. It'll be up on the screen if you want to read along, or if you want to follow along with me. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. When I read that, it sort of brings me back to the best moments I've had in my life with God, where I feel so known by him and so loved by him. And I, I wanted to introduce this uh, scripture right away because I want it to sort of be a prayer for our congregation in this time, that we would be able to taste, be able to experience this sort of relationship with God. As I said earlier, this, this, this sermon series, Searching for God, is really exploring some of the barriers that come up to experiencing this sort of relationship with God in our lives, and then how we create space to pursue it. Pursue it. Last week, uh, Michael, in his conversation about us admitting our need for God, brought up this topic of burnout. And I was sitting right there in the back, and I, I could almost hear this collective uh, agreement from, from this community about having some experience of that reality in varying degrees, experiencing burnout, becoming tired. And I wanted to press into that a little bit this morning. I wanted to explore that a little bit this morning as a barrier that might keep us from this sort of relationship with God that Paul is talking about. And I thought the best way to do that this morning would be for me just to share something from my own personal experience of experiencing this. So, about two or three years ago, I was in the midst of my seminary education, my seminary journey, and it was uh, in about June time, uh, right after the semester had ended, I kind of hit the wall, if you will. I kind of got to this place where I was not only just tired from all of the things that were going on in my life, all of the expectations placed on me, there, were, there, were, there was more than just a tired. There was a sort of emptiness from which uh, that I was experiencing in my life, in my relationship with God. This was characterized by me sort of uh, 
sometimes dreading talking with people, sometimes having trouble even getting out of bed in the morning, finding that I didn't have as much emotional empathy for others as I've had before in the past, and, and, and this feeling of feeling distant from God. Going through the normal routines of what had cultivated a relationship with God before, but not, not feeling the same response as I had before, feeling confusion about who God was, and feeling confusion about who I was. Can any of you resonate with that sort of experience in your life? I thought uh, what Michael uh, mentioned to us last week was so insightful that this, this may be a particular danger of our community because we are so focused on participating with God in the neighborhood, being on mission, being engaged in what God is doing, that we can get uh, distracted from the reality of coming back and being filled up and being re- uh, rested in God. To get at this a little bit more, I, I, I want to share with you this quote about burnout that uh, is found in this book called Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer, which has been super insightful for me this week. And this, this quote that he shares about burnout is actually found in the Emotional Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. This is a resource that we're inviting you to participate in this uh, this month in in the season of Lent, and it's a day-by-day daily office. It's a time of pausing in silence, a little scripture, and a little devotional that usually involves a quote like this, and uh, there's many of us at Mill City who are going through this, and I know that because I bought like a bunch of books, and you bought them all, and I'm waiting for another order to come through. If you want some more, they're just six bucks on Amazon, but let's read this quote about what Parker, Parker Palmer perceives burnout to be, and it's lengthy, so hang with me. It'll be up on the screen. When I give something I do not possess, I give a false and dangerous gift. A gift that looks like love but is in reality loveless. A gift given more from the need to prove myself than from others' need to be cared for. One sign that I am violating my own nature in the name of nobility is the condition called burnout. Though usually regarded as a result of trying to give too much, burnout, in my experience, is a result of trying to give what I do not possess, the ultimate in giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness, to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Heavy, I know. But when I read that, I immediately thought back to my experience two years ago in June. I could really resonate with what it's saying. It's not like I gave too much of myself. It's that I hadn't cultivated who I actually was to be able to give authentically. Digging into this a little bit deeper, Parker Palmer discusses this thing called the myth of the limitless self. In America in particular, in our context, there's this pervasive understanding, this myth of the limitless self. And the best way to describe it, I think, is from maybe the experience of some of our childhood where we grew up uh, being told, you can be whatever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do, you could even become president someday if you try hard enough. It's a blank slate, it's open to you. And and that's a, a wonderful thing to open up the imagination of a child with, but what it can do is create this uh, expectation that we have to achieve more, that we have to meet more and more expectations. As I reflect on it it now, there's no way I would want to be president, even though I was told that. 
I wouldn't wish that on anyone, including most of the people who are running for president right now. So it's, it's not true that any of us can achieve that, but that's what we're told, the mantra that sinks into our skin, our mind, the way that we perceive the world. And what this, mean, what this translates into, Parker Palmer, Palmer gets into this, where we kind of become uh, subject to the oppression of the expectations that people have for us uh, around us. The best way I can describe this in my own life and my experience with burnout is that meeting people's expectations became an idol in my life. Meeting people's expectations became an idol in my life. I sought my identity through meetings, meeting others' expectations as opposed to learning my identity from God who created me in his image from him. Let me dig into this a bit deeper. I want to share with you this tool that we use in our discipleship groups called uh, the Covenant Triangle. And this is just a way of getting at this tendency in our lives. And so I have it on the screen here to show you. And this is talking about what relationship with God, the elements of relationship with God contain and look like. So God is our Father, and Paul even starts with this image in his prayer for the church. He says, God is your Father from him uh, is, is flows from him all... Let me get this right. It's right in front of me. I'll read it. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. God is our Father. This is how God is revealed to us in Scripture. And from God being our Father, creating us in his image... Uh, intended to be in his family, what we get is our identity. So if we're spending time with the Father, we receive our identity, who we truly are, who we're created to be, uh, what God wants for our lives. And from that identity, from that relationship of receiving identity flows obedience. And this obedience is this deep relationship of trust where we know who we are. We're getting to know who God is. And out of that relationship, we trust him enough to live into his way of life, to listen to his voice when he's uh, calling us to do something, and that's really obedience. So really, the natural progression of relationship with God should progress around this way, where God is our Father, we receive our identity from him because we're made in his image, and out of that, we have a trusting relationship of obedience. But here's the deal. The church so often, and I am so guilty of this in my life, tries to do it the other way around. And what this looks like in our lives is that we think we gain our identity through obedience of the Father. And I can remember from a young child going to church, I, I surmised from my surrounding and the environment that what I needed to do, and I was a pastor's kid, so this was even worse, the ex, what I needed to do to behave correctly, to win God's favor, to become what it meant to be a Christian, was to do the right thing and say the right thing. Basically, I was trying to derive my identity from doing what the Father said and doing what seemed right in the situation. So I would have every answer to every Sunday school question. I would, uh, you know, basically I developed these two different lives where I was someone at church who did, uh, met all of the expectations, but at school I didn't feel the need to do that. And this, as I grew up in high school, I became basically a Pharisee who walked around with a moral rule stick and said, if you don't actually meet these demands, you're not actually a Christian. And I judged other people from that standpoint. And basically, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of relationship with God. 
If we think that we derive our identity because of the things we do for God instead of just being created in his image, uh, being a part of his family, we inevitably end up succumbing to the tyranny of these expectations. And we make expectations an idol in our lives. Can you resonate with this at all? clear example of this in scripture, and Michael talked about it a little bit last week, uh, is if you look at the life of King David and King Saul. King Saul is a perfect example of someone who tries to force his identity through obedience of the father. There's episode after episode in Saul's life where he's like, uh, does a sacrifice and then tries to fight a battle, and he says, what? I did the sacrifice. Why didn't you bless the battle? And he grows in his resentment for David because David has such this intimate relationship with God where he knows who he is and he knows who God is and he acts out of that identity. And he gets so frustrated at him that one time he starts throwing spears at him because he's so resentful of David that he has a worshipful relationship with God. And because uh, Saul is stuck in this mentality that he has to please God through his actions, he gets frustrated. This, this sort of reality comes to a head uh, early on in their, in their relationship, David comes to the battlefield. Uh, this is the episode with David and Goliath. And right before that happens, uh, Saul is trying to make David wear his armor. And this is such a huge metaphor for David, uh, 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 for the expectations of what it means to be king to be uh, imposed on David. And David tries the armor out, and it's kind of this loose thing that doesn't fit him real well. I actually Googled what would David look like in Saul's armor? And for some reason, this picture popped up. So I don't know what's going on there, but I think it's a pretty good representation. That kid's really cute. It would probably be a little more medieval-looking or uh, first-century-looking armor, or even earlier. But you get this visual picture of what it's like for us to live under the tyranny of others' expectations and to make expectations an idol. It doesn't fit. It's not who we are. And there's this class, this is a really cool part in, uh, I believe it's in 1 Samuel, where David uh, just kind of sheds the armor off and says, this is not who God called me to be. And then the classic story happens where he picks up the smooth stones and he goes and he fights David basically out of his faith in God because he's a shepherd. That's who God created him to be. What I learned uh, through my burnout experience is that I can't serve the God of expectations. I have to create space in my life to encounter the real God who loves me, who created me in his image. And it's through that, through the creating spaces for those encounters, that I discover who I truly am and I discover who God truly is. Parker Palmer puts it this way. He says, we can't truly, fully experience who God is until we lean into experiencing who we are. This series is about searching for God, and what I want to talk about with the rest of our time this morning is one of the ways in which we search for God is by looking at our life, searching within, asking who we are, creating space to ask God who we are. And I think there's a couple elements of doing that that I just want to share real practically to conclude our time today. The first one I would say is stopping. God invites us to stop in our lives. The Bible calls this Sabbath. The word Sabbath really is just a Hebrew word for stop. Stop what you're doing. Basically quitting. So uh, for, for like four years now, I've been really trying to do this in my life where 
every week creating space one day a week where I just stop what I'm doing. So I calculated this, and I've been working at Mill City for about four years, and I've been doing it every week, so I've quit my job about 200 times. And you, uh, you're still, I'm still here, so we have a good relationship, I guess. But Sabbath is essentially stopping, and Sabbath is the way that we combat the myth of the limitless self. Sabbath is the way that we come out from underneath all of the expectations that others have for us that are pressing down on our lives. If we create space just to be, just to be in the world, just to experience what we love to do, to delight in the relationships we have, and create space within our calendar to delight in God's presence, we come out from under the tyranny of expectations. We come out from under the myth of the limitless self. So, uh, I really encourage you uh, to try to find a rhythm of stopping in your life to create space to be with God and be with others and be present and don't uh, come out from under the expectations that are on your life. Uh, one example of someone in our community doing this, we have uh, good friends Dave and Katie Fogue, and they shared at the retreat a few weeks ago that one of the practices that really was a turning point in transformation for them was this. And it wasn't a whole day. They just found one evening in their calendar where they could both be in the same place and experience relationship with, with each other and experience relationship with God. So maybe that's a place to start. Just one night on your calendar where there can be nothing else on it. Another piece of this creating space to encounter God, to discover who he is by discovering who we are, uh, I would say is solitude. Now, solitude is a hard thing for some of us. Get in a room and, alone and we're like, start freaking out. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Henry Nouwen, and he describes solitude as a furnace. Solitude is kind of this crucible, if you will, of where we put ourselves in a situation where it's just us in our lives, in the presence of God. And through that, it's analogous to uh, a refining fire, that God's presence sort of refines our lives. It brings to the surface that which is most important. It creates the space for us to ask, what's really going on in my life right now? What really matters most? And what is my relationship with God looking like? We see Jesus do this all the time. The first thing he does in his ministry is go into the wilderness for 40 days. I don't recommend that to start off, but he practices solitude all the time. It's an anchor for who he is. Another piece that I would say uh, is involved in creating space to experience God is silence. And uh, those of us who have maybe started into this emotional, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality day by day, it invites you to have two minutes of silence before and after the devotional. And I've been hearing from you, and I've experienced this myself, but two minutes is really hard to be silent. I, I, I encourage you, try it sometime this week. Just try to be silent. Actually, I'm going to invite you to do it at the end of the service, so there you go. Uh, two minutes of silence is really hard. When, when we practice it, we realize how much is bombarding our mind and our heart, how many expectations are, are coming in and invading our way of being. And a couple of us were reflecting on this this week and shared just things that are helpful for us. Some of us said it's helpful to focus on our breathing um, and sort of meditate how we're breathing in God's grace and breathing out uh, maybe expectations of others or other things going on in our life. 
grabbing onto something repetitive like God have mercy on me or thank you for your love, God, and, and dwelling on that. Others have mentioned that it's helpful to imagine God in that space with them, in that silence with them. Uh, John Nielsen, who's a good friend of mine, we just sat down this week and recorded a podcast. I'm starting to make Mill City Training podcasts, one other venue for you to receive some more training on what missional life looks like. And we discussed this. We discussed um, coming out from the tyranny of expectations and our faith and what it means for us to reconnect with God. And a big part of that for John is silence, creating silence in his everyday. So he gets up in the morning and has uh, the space sometimes in the morning where he just gets by himself, experiences solitude. And in the silence, it's, it's not just an intellectual activity for him, he says. It's, it's, it's also a biological activity where he's paying attention to what's going on in his body and his mind. And he's trying to pay attention to his breathing and welcome God's presence in that way. You see, in this season of Lent, it's through creating these spaces of stopping in our lives, in solitude and silence, that we can just be in God's presence. And when we create that space in our life, we hear from God who he actually created us to be. And if we act out of that, we can say no to things we need to say no to. And we can say yes to things that really fill us up. And maybe we'll get tired when we do that, but there won't be an emptiness inside of us. Because if we create space to be with God, we discover who we truly are. And through that discovery, because we're made in the image of God, we begin to discover who God truly is. I just look around this room, and I deeply desire that for each of you. I look around this room and all of the the, the jobs that you have, the responsibilities that you have, the things that God's placed in your life that can, be, that can mount up and weigh on you. And I just want maybe you just to hear from God in this season, just saying, stop for a moment. Stop for a moment. It's okay. And just be with me. And maybe part of what we need to do this morning is just set aside the idol of fulfilling other people's expectations in our lives to create space to encounter the God who loves you, who created you, who created you to do great things, who, d- who made you. It says in Psalms that he knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows you in the deepest way more than anyone could know you here on earth. We have to create space to encounter that God's presence. I want to read this quote that captures well, I think, what I hope for these sorts of spaces in our lives. This is from Frederica Matthews Green. It says, God's presence in us is like a fire that, uh, in the burning bush. It gradually takes us over so that although we remain fully ourselves, we are being made over into our truest selves, the way that God originally intended us to be. We never lose our identity, but we are filled with God like a sponge is filled with water. That's how we were meant to live. That's how we were meant to be in relationship with God. Like I said, I want to conclude our time just by creating some space for silence. We don't often get this opportunity to do this. So I encourage you to maybe employ some of the things I talked about earlier. But we're just going to create a couple minutes of silence here, and then the worship team is going to lead us into our next song. I really encourage you to welcome God's presence in your life. Try to quiet your mind and your heart and center on his love for you.
let's practice silence together.